Amen, CHCC. Praise the Lord, CHCC. <laughs> it's happy to be with the family, you know. Um, yeah, man, I didn't know about Clint, man. Um, no, but there's a bomb that the Lord gives through his word. So we want to look to the Lord. Um, I want to pray one more time, and then let's open up and see what the Lord has to say. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks. God, you are good. You are good. You are good. And God, we pray that your goodness would be manifest, that we would see it and say it by faith, knowing that you are who you are, God. And we pray now, Lord, that by your spirit, you would encourage, that you would comfort, that you would give peace, that your spirit would rest, rule, and abide among us. God, we need you every second and every hour of the day, God. And we ask that you indeed would draw near. You are near to the brokenhearted and those crushed in spirit. Oh, God, have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Y'all can hear me all right? All right. Good, good, good. Well, God is always doing something exceedingly abundantly that we can ask, think, or even imagine. He's a good father. And as a good father, he gives good gifts to his children. He's not like us. We give gifts that spoil our children, right? Gifts that they play with and then they destroy. And coming off the heels of Christmas, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? But God is too good and he's too wise for something like that. He gives gifts that keep on giving and he bears fruit in our lives that continue to bear fruit in our lives in order to help us. And there are times when we don't even realize the help that we need, but God does. And in Romans chapter five, we see one of the most important gifts that God gives us is his son, Jesus, who justifies us by faith in him. And from that faith comes all sort of fruit that I want you to remember, especially in the trials of life. I want you to remember these fruit and the trials of life. Remember that you have peace with God. Remember, you have access to God's grace. Remember the hope of future glory. Remember the hope in present suffering and remember the love of God. So these are the fruit that I want you to partake of and to enjoy. And we'll see this in Romans chapter five, verse one through five. So what I'll do is I'll read the passage and then we'll dive in. Is that all right? All right. Romans chapter five. This is the word of God, starting in verse one down to verse five. Says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. God's word. So as we look in verse one, when life comes at you like a flood, remember that you have peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had just finished unfolding this reality to the church. God's magnificent, glorious, yet surprising truth that salvation has always been by faith. 
We've been declared righteous as an act of God. And because it's God's doing, it's a guarantee. In Romans chapter 4, verse 16, just prior to that chapter, Paul writes and says that this is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Talking about Abraham. Not only to the inherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So what is Paul saying here? Prior to the cross, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. They look forward to the coming Christ. And, you, and Jesus, in, Matthew, in John chapter 8, verse 56, he said, Abraham saw my coming and was glad. And then after the cross, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. But we're saved by looking back to the first coming of Christ. And if you see the common denominator there, it's all about Christ. Peace with God could never be earned by works of the law. Let that sink into your minds, family. Let that drill down deep that this is a gift that keeps on giving. Your righteousness is not based on your works and his mercies are new every day, Christian. That's good news. This peace with God came through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you've heard it before. Know God and you'll know peace or know God and there's no peace. I think that's right. Especially the type of peace that's talked about in scriptures that the world can't give and that the world can't take away. And the world longs for this type of peace. The world wants this type of peace and doesn't even realize this is the peace that they need. I remember Lauren Hill, who came out with a song back in the day after this incredible album she had. She was on MTV. She did a live recording and she kept singing the same refrain over and over. I got to find peace of mind. I got to find peace of mind because this is what she was longing for. But she could not find that in music. World leaders come onto the stage and they announce that there's war and rumors of war. And these are folks that don't even pray. They're not religious, but yet they call and ask people to pray for world peace. But it doesn't happen. Here on the block in Congress Heights and Anacostia, we try to end beefs. We try to get folks to lay down their guns. And all of those things are good in their place. But guess what? Without Christ, there will be no peace. Without the gospel, there is no peace. It's not through music. It's not through alcohol. It's not through politics or even our best efforts. But in verse one, it says through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this context, Paul wants the church to know that the biggest beef, our beef was with God has now been squashed. Christ squashed that beef between us and God at the cross. And in Colossians chapter two, verse 14, he says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's good news. The law was a bill that we owed and that we could not pay. You know, those type of bills that got the yellow and the pink coloring on those things. Right. When you see them, you know, something's past due, something's overdue or they coming to get your stuff. We were in some serious sin debt, but Jesus paid it all by his death on the cross. And by nailing that debt to the cross, we now have a receipt that says paid in full. We are no longer enemies, but beloved children adopted into God's household. There's no fear of death anymore. Absent from the body is now present with the Lord. 
And in his presence, there is the fullness of joy. And that is right here on pledges forevermore. This is the fruit of our faith, family. We have peace with God. Can you imagine the very last breath that we take will be our very first breath in heaven with the Lord? This is for you, Christian. So remember the fruit is peace with God. So no matter the trials of life that you go through, the biggest issue that you could ever have has been taken care of at the cross. And I love that the verb here in verse one says justified, right? This is a past tense. Paul is saying it's a one and done. It's a one-time event where we now have been declared righteous. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift that you receive from the very hand of God. And if you don't yet have this gift, if you don't have this faith in Christ Jesus, this is an offer that he holds out to you even today. The day you hear his voice, harden not your heart. The same Jesus lived a life we could not live, holy and perfect. He fulfilled the law on our behalf, which we could not do. And then he died in our place for our sins. But when he died, he really died. But on the third day, he really rose. And when he rose, he rose for our justification. And it was proof that God was satisfied by pouring out his wrath upon his son. And Jesus says, at this you can be justified too. Receive that gift. Turn from sin. Trust in Jesus even today. Now for the Christian, the good news gets gooder. <laughs> Look at verse 2. It says, through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith. That same faith that saved us is the same faith that now gives us access. Into what? This grace in which we stand. Notice the tense of that word, stand. It's not stood, it's not will stand, but it's the present tense in which we stand. That's no small thing. And this brings us to our next fruit of your faith is to remember, the, remember in your current state, whatever you're going through, that you have access to God's grace. Access to God's grace. Access to his grace is access to God himself. Grace is not something apart from God, but it's God giving himself to us. Think about it. We have the Holy Spirit of God that is literally living within, within us. It's, he, God is taking residence within us and empowering us to do what we cannot do in our own strength. That is an absolute necessity as we go through the trials, tribulations, persecutions, and sufferings of life. It's to remember that we have access to God's grace by his spirit. We presently have this access. So for Paul to say this was mind-blowing. So you think about the average Jew during that time. They couldn't even approach the Holy of Holies within the temple. Only the high priest had access to that and only once a year during the Day of Atonement. In the temple, there was a veil that separated the Jews. There was a wall that separated the Gentiles. And in all of this separation, there was also a warning to both Jew and Gentile that if they overstepped their bounds, it would be certain death. They had to stay within their boundaries, within their jurisdiction. There was a separation. But at the cross, when Jesus died, he tore the veil from top to bottom. He broke down the wall of hostility. And through Christ, we now have entrance into his grace where we now stand. And we have direct access to his presence. Praise God. Amen. And when we think about this word access, the word here means entrance to the king 
through the favor of another. Don't that describe our life as Christians? It's a beautiful word picture that reminds me of Queen Esther. Esther, Esther, you remember where she had to go before the king and going before Xerxes could literally cost her her life. But Xerxes was pleased with her and he held out his golden scepter as a sign that he accepted her in her presence. Fam, this is the type of divine favor that we have. We do not need a priest. We do not need a mediator. Christ is our only go-between that has opened the door to the Father forever. Amen. And we can come with freedom and with confidence. Confidence that he does not only hear our prayer, but he's willing to answer our prayer. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 says, For through him, Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So question for you. When trials, tribulation, when life just comes at you, do you recall to mind this kind of access during those times? Come on, brother. That the king is standing ready to respond to you. Well, the real question is, do you utilize this type of access? See, that's a big difference. So when we were in Kenya and Mombasa, um, our host Gideon, he told us that we had Internet access to use the phone so that we can call home and speak with our families. Right. But the signal downstairs was too weak to reach upstairs where our bedrooms were. So when he told us the next day that we could actually move the router from downstairs upstairs, that was a game changer. I mean, we was calling our wives. We was FaceTiming with the kids and everything. It was it was all good. And after that. Right. We, we always had access. We just never utilized it. So the point is, in the same way, we have this great access to call upon our great God, access to confidently approach his throne of grace in our time of need and there find grace and mercy. But the question is, do we utilize it? The access to both our loving father who cares for us, but he is also a great sovereign king who's able to do something about our situation. This is the kind of access we have. We have direct access into his presence in which we presently stand. So we looked at the fruit of past forgiveness, the fruit of our present standing, and now another fruit of our faith is our future hope in the glory of God. Look there at the rest of verse two. It says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This has to do with our destiny. Paul lets the church know to eagerly anticipate with hope. And this hope is opposite of how we would typically think of hope, right? I hope it doesn't rain or I hope it snows so that there's no school. No, it's not that type of hope. This is a type of hope that is certain, that there is a confident expectation because it rests on the promises of God. And it is good to rest on the promises of God because it's a sure thing. It is a good thing to rejoice and exalt in this hope because this hope does not disappoint us. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul said these three remain faith, hope and love, faith, hope and love. And God, by his spirit and in his word, is saying that these three pillars of faith, hope and love is what saved you, what will keep you and what will bring you home to your final destiny in the presence of the glory of God. And as you look at these verses in chapter five, verse one to five, you'll see this this repetition of faith, of hope and love. Hold on to those pillars. Those are the pillars of your faith, family. 
the glory of God. This is where we will stand, not just by faith, but one day by sight, where we will be in his actual presence with God himself, and we will behold his splendor. We will behold his glory and his majesty, where our faith becomes sight, where hope becomes reality, and where his love will overwhelm us. Oh, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. Well, we will be overcome by God's glory and we will praise him forever. And this is the same glory that Moses wanted to see. You remember that back in Exodus chapter 33, where Moses said, Lord, show me, show me, show me your glory. God is like, if I showed you my glory in his fullness, you would die. But he wanted to see God's glory. But you remember what happened to Moses? God had to tuck him in the cliff, the uh, cleft of the rock. And the only thing that Moses got was the afterglow when God passed through. Right. And then Moses came down off of the mountain and his face was just glowing. It was so bright that people was unable to look at him. Y'all know how it is when you go down uh, 495 on the west and the sun is at its brightest. First thing you do is what? You start reaching for the visor to pull it down. You're looking for your sunglasses because the, the brightness is so overwhelming. It's offensive even. This is how Moses' face literally was when he had to put on a veil. But eventually, the brightness faded. The glory faded. But family, there is coming a day where there will be no need for a glimpse. There will be no need for a veil. For the glory of God will be fully revealed and we will have full access to him. Oh man, I can't wait for that day. I'm enjoying this message because God's speaking to me. <laughs> this, is, this is the day I long for. The Bible tells us that we will be glorified in God's presence and we will have glorified bodies. We will be perfected in Christ. We will be like him in some kind of way. I don't know what that's going to look like. But even when you look at Christ's body, we came. He was still eating fish, but yet he was just appearing out of nowhere. And I'm just like, man, I don't know what it's like, but I know it's going to be good. Because when we see him, we shall be like him. Oh, this is right in line with what Paul says later on in chapter 8 as well, where he doubles down on this reality. And he says in chapter 8, verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So when you think of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, John is speaking about this return of Christ. And when he returns, we shall be like him. And he calls this our hope, our hope. He says, dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. It is our hope, our confidence that we will be like Jesus one day. Let that truth motivate you to be like him even now. Amen. That we may live in such a way before each other and before our neighbors here on the block as those with hope. No need to grieve like the world, but rather we can lift our gaze and focus on eternity. Amen. This is a sweet fruit to meditate on. The fact that what God has predestined you for, he will glorify you for. What he began in you, he will bring to completion. This is a great assurance. This is our future hope. Another fruit of our faith 
is our hope even in present sufferings. Hope in present sufferings. You see that in verse three and four. It says now, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And this opening phrase, not only this, it conveys the idea that there's even more, more than what he just talked about, more than just the fruit he spoke about earlier, but there's more hope. Not only do we experience peace, not only do we stand forever in his grace, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the future, but we can rejoice in our trials. Now, this is hard for non-Christians to understand. And truth be told, it's hard for Christians to understand, right? But this is why Paul uses this little word, knowing. It's not a throwaway phrase. It's important to know is to see with the right perspective. To know is to understand that these trials and these tribulations are common to man and it's part of God's design to develop us. Oh, how I wish we could go to sleep and just wake up with this fortitude that the saints that have gone before us have had. Right. You think about brothers and sisters who were born during the civil rights or during slavery. You just think about your own relatives who were Christians. They had a certain grit, a certain endurance certain courage, a certain uh, perseverance. But please know this was forged in the fire of life. This did not just happen automatically. I wish we can go to bed and wake up and be like Jesus. But God knows us better than we know ourselves. And suffering is the tool that God uses to look more like Jesus. A theology of suffering, we need it. Many times people come to faith and they think that everything is going to be perfect. And it's like, nah, man, sometimes things get worse. This is something we got to hear, but we know that as we go through this, Jesus is with us. Amen. It's not that he hates you, it's actually because he loves you. And this is what we need to be reminded of. This is what I need to be reminded of. This word suffering here has a word picture of being squeezed. Picture the squeezing of olives in a press. It produces olive oil. You think of crushing of grapes in order to produce wine. This is the example of what it looks like in the life of a believer who's being crushed or pressed by life. But there is something precious that forms under pressure. This pressure can be in the form of emotional, physical, spiritual dis distress. It can be a weightiness from the burdens of a broken heart. All of us have felt this. Some of you all are feeling this even now. I'm here to remind you that God has not forgotten, that God loves you, that God remembers every experience and every tear. David said in Psalm 56, 8, he has kept count of my tossings and he has put my tears in a bottle. Mm, this is your God. <laughs> your suffering is not in vain. There's a level of character that is both being developed and being discovered through the suffering. Paul was speaking to a people that was right in the midst of suffering, and he explained to the church how they ought to view the suffering in light of what was happening. And he starts by saying we should rejoice. And this rejoicing is not rejoicing in the tribulation itself. That would be weird. That would be wrong. We don't like pain. But we are rejoicing in the after effects of it. We all want hope. 
We all want character. We all want endurance. But we don't all want suffering. He's not saying enjoy the pain or pretend that you're happy when you're suffering. He's reminding them to keep the end goal in mind. Keep the end goal in mind. And by the way, CHCC, you all have been a model of this. Um, we have watched you guys from afar. We've seen the uh, emails that Rick and folks have put out on the social in order to um, yeah, just rally around Pastor Joshua and other prayer requests of what's going on within the body. And whether you guys know it or not, from afar, you are being a shining example. You are discipling many without even knowing it of what it means to endure. So be encouraged that God is working these things in ways that we know not of. And the suffering, the aim of it is endurance. Endurance and perseverance. It is a patient, focused waiting, an ability to last the distance. He wants to strengthen you where you would normally fold so that you will not give up under pressure or opposition. Great. You stick with it. So as James says, we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then endurance produces a proven character, a proven character. And this is a character that has been tested and been determined to be pure. You think about gold or silver, when you put that in a fire, the only thing that comes off of that precious metal is just the dross, the things that need to come out. But the gold is refined and made pure. And here Paul refers to the Christian who has gone through the fiery test and has learned by God's grace that he or she can endure. And now he can say, not just from theory, but from experience, that I have trusted God in the middle of my trial and he is found faithful. Can anybody testify to that today? When they look back and say, God grew me through that situation. Hmm. And lastly, in this chain, after the proven character, that brings about hope. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. And again, this hope is that rock solid certainty that we know that we know that we know Amen. at least two things, who we are and whose we are. <laughs> who you are is a child of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse seven says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father and whose we are is a people belonging to God. And he uses suffering to prove us to us. Think about what Jesus said concerning the parable of the sower in Mark chapter four. He says, when the seed is sown on rocky soil, that's the unbeliever's heart, it sprouts up quick, but it has no root. But when trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. But seed that is sown on good soil, the Christian's heart. The ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. And this is the good word to receive that suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, character, hope. So receive that, believe that, bear fruit from that. And remember, fruit becomes fruitful through pruning. And all this Paul says is because God loves us.
How are you doing today with these things? Do you take hold of hope by faith in the midst of suffering with the end goal in mind? If not, what would be the difference if you did? Suffering doesn't shake our hope, but it reinforces our hope so that we can keep on rejoicing even through trials. And lastly, remember the fruit of your faith allows you to experience the love of God, the love of God. Look at verse five. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. So again, Paul repeats this same hope, this hope that is sure, that is guaranteed with certainty based on God's sovereign plan and purposes will not put you to shame. The same assurance of being glorified in God's presence that we saw in verse two is the same assurance we have that suffering will sanctify us in verse three and four. That's a sure hope. And Paul is explaining that assurance is guaranteed with a seal. We have God's loving spirit working within our hearts as that seal. God's love is not like our love. It's not petty, nor is it exhaustive. It's like the widow of Zarephath whom God supernaturally supplied oil to. And she kept pouring and pouring and pouring. And the oil never ran out, even in the midst of a famine. The love of God is constantly being poured out and poured out and poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who resides within us. Amen. Mm. We have to think about that, meditate on that. <laughs> and here's the thing. Before we were Christians, guess what? We still had issues. We still had problems. We still went through. But the major difference is now when these things come our way, we have the Holy Spirit in us to guide us, to teach us, and to remind us of the fruit of our faith. Amen. That you have peace with God. You have access to God's grace. You have hope of a future glory. You have hope in present suffering. And that you have the non-exhaustive love of God for his children. Amen. Amen. So... Let me close out by reading just a few of God's promises in your hearing. I want you to listen uh, to this with ears of faith of what God is saying through his word to his church. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. First Peter chapter five, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And the last one, John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus' words, I've said these things to you 
that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for every fruit that comes of us being justified by faith. It would have been enough, God, for you just to save us, but God, you give us this amazing hope that we have peace with you, (laughs) that we can now stand in the presence of your grace, that we have a future glory to look forward to, that even in the midst of our sufferings, God, we know that you are producing a hope that is built upon your love. You loved us enough not to leave us in our state, but for us to look more and more like Jesus. I pray, God, that you would bring back to our remembrance uh, these things, these fruits of our faith in times of difficulty. God, no more wavering here and there. Help us to stand on the solid rock of your truth that we can proclaim that indeed, no matter what we go through, it is well Mm. with my soul. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Robert.